Welcome to In The Room with me, Ronnie Barber. In this series, we'll be talking to politicians, YouTubers, sports stars and scientists about the defining moments of their lives. From the classroom to the boardroom, the briefing room, the dressing room and a whole lot more, we'll find out how the rooms of our lives shape the decisions we make. This time in the room, I'm talking to Stylian Petrov, the Celtic and Aston Villa legend who played football until 2013 when he was diagnosed with leukaemia. We'll hear about how his drive to succeed was bigger than his talent. I wasn't one of the most talented boys um, in the team, uh, the age groups, uh, but I worked. I had that uh, strive to, to, to get better. What it was like living on his own in Glasgow. And uh, I'll be homesick and I'll, I'll be thinking what I've done, what I've moved here, what, what I'm going to do. And how he dealt with his cancer diagnosis. What I see is, is a cancer ward. And I'm thinking, something's not right here. Something is not right. Anyway, the first room I put him in was the Celtic dressing room before his first home game for the club. Uh, obviously, taking on and knowing who you're going to sign for, where, we, where you're going and who you're going to play for, I knew about it. But to experience it live, it was completely different for me. I was, I was excited. I was nervous. I was very, um, very anxious because... I was just 19 years old boy, no word of English. I've moved to a completely different uh, culture. I can, uh, I'm moving to a completely different environment. Uh, I've ended up in a dressing room with such a big characters, winners, people that already knew the history and they all, already knew the DNA of the club. So for me, it was a, a very nervous experience at the start. Um, I had to adjust very quickly because I realized very quickly how important this club is for the fans, for the players, and as all together for what Celtic stand for. Let's go back then from that point. And you growing up in Montana, is that right? In Bulgaria, you grew up. Yeah, very small town in in, in Bulgaria. Yeah, tell me, um, what were you like as a kid then? Were you a bit of a you, were you an academic, or was football always the thing? Uh, football was always a thing. Uh, obviously, I was pushed to to educate myself as well. Uh, I couldn't train if I don't edu- uh, go to school, if I don't do the right work, if I don't present myself as a, as a good student. Uh, but since day one, I love football. I just wanted to become a footballer. My, uh, I was very lucky because my uh, grandfather, my father, they were footballers. My grandfather was working at at the stadium, so I didn't have a choice. I didn't have a choice. I fell in love uh, with football since the day one. Um, I wanted to become something. I had uh, a very strong work ethic. I wasn't one of the most talented boys um, in the team, uh, the age groups, uh, but I worked. I had that uh, strive to, to, to get better, to become better, to achieve. Uh, as a young boy, it's important to have a good idols as well. And we did have great idols at that time. At that time, we had some incredible team, incredible players. Uh, Stoichkov, Kostadino, yeah. Balakov, Lechkov. We can go on and on. Yeah. We can go on. I mean, players that played for Bayern Munich, for Barcelona, for Sporting Lisbon, players with characters. And I wanted to be like them. So for me, it was easier because I wanted to succeed. I knew that I had to outwork everybody else because I didn't have the talent. I had so many other players who had better talent than me. 
they were better technically, they were better physically, but what I had to realize that I had to overwork them. I have to make sure that I will take every single moment that I have to make an impression and to make sure that I develop. Some, some, some players, more technical players, they'll take their, uh, their, 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 their foot off the gas, they'll, they'll relax. I couldn't do that. I will go and I, I had to overwork them. I had to make sure that I think differently than them. I prepared in a different. I had to prepare in a different way because that was the only chance that I could succeed. Um, getting spotted, Stillian, uh, at that age uh, to sign for CSKA Sofia was was there a, like an academy system in Bulgaria, or was it a local scout seeing a really good player like you and say, right, buy him? Uh, you know what? It's, uh, the academy was was quite simple then. I, I remember going to uh, Montana Academy. We only had two balls to the, every age group, so you had to wait uh, one age group to finish with the ball, so you can start practice with your age group. So this is how it worked. But what what happened? I, I made my debut quite um, quite early. I made my debut when I was sixteen. Uh, I was picked up from school, so I've made impression from very early age about. Uh, who I was and what skills I had, uh, the strife and the desire I had as well. So I remember, it's not just me, but me and Martin Petrov, if you remember him, he yeah. played for Man City and yeah. Atletico Madrid and Wolfsburg. We were signed together. So Martin, Martin City was not far from my city. So we actually moved together. We, we lived together in a, in a flat. We were only 17. Uh, we had to go to a national, national service together. So it was it was a great experience. It was a, it was a, a big challenge for us. Only 17, we moved to to Sofia, the big city, the big city on our own. But I tell you what, we both had the desire and the strive to get better and to achieve. I, I think that's what uh, why the fans loved you at Villa and at Celtic, um, uh, still, because you were a worker and you made the best. And I think the, especially the Scottish fans can relate to that. They like a player who's a, a, is, f- is full on. So let's talk about it as well. Um, did you settle okay in Glasgow then when you came? Was it tough? Uh, not at the start. At the start, was uh, really difficult for me. Um, I was on my own, uh, no word of English. I couldn't understand what people were saying to me. I wasn't fit. Uh, I wasn't a good fit for the dressing room as well because, you know, if the dressing room don't accept you, then it becomes more difficult for you. I was I was on my own in the flat all day. Um, I'll go to training. I'll go back from training. I'll stay in the house. I'll watch movies. I'll be on the phone with my friends. And uh, I'll be homesick and I'll, I'll be thinking, what I've done, what I've moved here, what, what I'm going to do. Uh, but you know what? We, sometime in life, you just have to stay put and you have to be patient. You have to believe in what you've done before and you just have to work harder than everybody else, like I always, always done. And slowly, and slowly, I realized that the language is the first thing I had to change. I have to start learning the language. I have to fit in a dressing room. I have to understand how the the, the dynamic of the of the club, the dynamic of the dressing room. I had to make friends if I wanted to succeed. But when I saw what kind of club Celtic is, I wanted to succeed. I wanted to be part of that history. I wanted to be part of that success at some point. And you know what? That uh, patience and desire to to stay there and to become something has helped me to go through all these difficult moments and 
taught me a lot of valuable lessons. Uh, of course, you had to learn Glaswegian as well, Stillian, which is, uh, is, is an art form in its own right. <laughs> I, that's right. And uh, I had to, listen, I had to adapt, uh, adapt uh, very quickly because for me it was, it, it was a must. I didn't have a choice. The, the, my other choice was going back to Bulgaria. And I didn't want to go back to Bulgaria. I said to myself, if I, one day I have a chance to go abroad and uh, uh, improve myself as a player, as an individual, and become something, I will never look back. So for me, that stood back in my mind, and I, I wanted to stick with that kind of message to myself. And I managed to do that because, you know, at the start, uh, learning the language and being in Scotland was very difficult. I remember for, friend of mine was saying, but how do you understand? He's not really an English there. So, you know, I, I, I didn't have the problem with that. You just fit into it and you just uh, get used to it. Uh, let's talk about the managers. I'm always intrigued because uh, you you set up, you had a good relationship with Martin O'Neill um, uh, and because you, you went to Villa. Uh, he signed you for, for Villa as well. But John Barnes was the fella that signed you, first of all, for Celtic. Is that right? Yeah, John Barnes uh, and Kenny Deglish was uh, at, the, at the club when I when I signed for uh, Celtic. Right. Um, what is it about managers, still? Because I I love to go behind the scenes and see why some managers get the best from a player. Gordon Strachan uh, kind of played you out of position for a bit as well. Played you at right back. But what is it about managers and the player relationship? Tell me a wee bit about that dynamic and why somebody like Martin O'Neill got more out of you maybe than other managers did. You know what about understanding the profile, the character of the of the person you're working with. That's I think this is the most important thing. It becomes more valuable the the tactical, the technical, the physical uh, side of the game because you understand the person and what it takes to take the best out of him. Martin was perfect at that. Martin knew what my problems are. Martin knew how he need to challenge me. Martin knew how to get the best out of me. This was this was very important. Like uh, with John Barnes. He was a good coach, but he wasn't the best man manager, which for me was very difficult, especially when I was doing that transition, moving from one country to another, without speaking the language, without we having the challenges, understand about the style of play, the people around you. I didn't have that support. So for me, it was very difficult. While Martin, when he, when he signed for Celtic, he, he, he noticed that straight away. So what he tried, what he, what he've done is like, he picked the points of what I had to work on, what I had to do. And if I'd done this, he told me, if you do this, you have a chance to play for me because I see that you have talent. I see that you can express yourself on the pitch. But what I think, you have to get fitter, you have to get stronger, you have to get mentally in a good place for me to say, you're part of my team. And you know what? Then I realized this man is, it's about honesty, about loyalty, about respect. If I offered the same thing to him, then I won't have a problem. And, you know, since that day, since that conversation, I never had a problem with him. Like Gordon Strachan, if we move to the, the third name that you, that you mentioned, he was perfect with me. We never had um, any disagreements. Uh, he was a great coach. He was a great uh, manager as well. I played really well under him. Uh, he gave me more freedom. He gave me more knowledge about the game. And, and he was the mixer. He was a mixer of of a good coach and a good man manager. And I had a great time under him. Um, 
moving to Villa as well was again you're moving into the uh, the English uh, league and that's a big step up as well and, and I'm not denigrating Scottish football because at that time it was a, it was a good setup in Scottish football but was it a big step up for you and 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 your family you know moving to Villa and uh, as a brand new player and hey, what six point five million you went to Villa for was that right? Yes, that's right. Um, it was a big step. Uh, it was a big challenge for me because I moved uh, from Scotland and I moved to England, uh, one of the mo- most demanding links, leagues in the world, not just um, uh, technically or physically, but mentally as well, because the, the pressure of the team, the pressure, the world is watching the, the Premier League. This is what it's about. It's a huge brand. So to come and compete against the best because you you have the best players in the Premier League, and you have to compete with them. You can't afford to be to be sloppier, to be uh, to be bad in any games. You have to be at, at, at your best, and this is what I had to realize very quickly. In Scotland, sometimes you can go away and have a decent game, and people talk about it. Yeah, but we know his potential. Here in England, when you come, you have to compete. Not just in the games, you have to compete in training as well. You have to compete outside football as well, and you have to become stronger mentally, physically, technically, because there's no break. There's no break for you. Every week, you have to be at your best. If you're that much off your best, then you have a problem. Somebody else will take your place or the opposition will take the best out of you. So for me, it was a big jump. And another, it was another learning stage for me, how, how to learn and become better. And not just as a player, but as a, per- as a person, as a character as well. move out the dressing room into uh, the consulting room uh the 30th of march um what year was it you were diagnosed with leukemia uh, stillian uh me 2012 2012 um prior to that prior to the diagnosis uh you know you're as fit as a flea you're one of the fittest players in the league and uh, you know because you're a box-to-box player which they kind of use this euphemism now um, what was the first sign that something wasn't quite right then? Uh, well, not something wasn't right. It's just um, it's, it's just a general cold. That was it. Nothing, nothing major. Nothing. Something to be concerned of. Uh, something that we as a player uh, players go through every time. Um, we all have a cold. You sweat it out. You shake it off. You take a couple of paracetamols and you move on. This is what we become as a characters. We become fighters. We become leaders. We wanted to to achieve. We we have a purpose, and that purpose is to become elite players and to to be as the best as we can. So these little things that you're talking about, a little, little temperature, a little cold, we don't pay attention to these things. And it's something like that. It was it was little cold. My little boy had a cold and uh, um, through that week, and I thought, you know what? Well, maybe I've just ca- uh, catch something from him. Um, I've just didn't pay attention to it, but my, it came to my attention through through the game against Arsenal. That's when I my muscles, my brain, it, it stopped functioning. It literally stopped functioning. I couldn't do anything. I couldn't make a decision. I couldn't get closer to players. I couldn't pass the ball the proper way. My brain was slow. Um, I remember I was. Uh, uh, it was my fault for for the first goal. I didn't react very well. My position was really poor. My body shape was really poor. 
and I could see everybody's everybody's on me. Everybody was asking me the question, but me, I, I was a captain at that time. I couldn't answer. And you know, Ronnie, when you don't find the answer, when you don't find that energy, that fight back in you, you know that something is wrong. You know that something's there. But did, did I ever think that something like that, what I was diagnosed with, will be something that I would expect? Never. I would think it's one of these blips that maybe you're just going to go through it. At the halftime, uh, you know, I was, I was literally stripped off. I was naked. I was literally sitting naked and I was shaking my head. And I had Alex McLeish, I had the boys on me asking about to go back on the pitch because I said I was honest. Um, I, was, I was always honest about it. I, uh, I said, guys, I'd rather come out because I don't think I'm right. I don't think I can continue. Something is, is not right. Uh, and then I had that adrenal, adrenaline, that passion kicking in. The boys are on me. It's like, Stan, you always pushed us. We were in a very difficult position. You have to stick with us. You have to go back. You have to do the right things. You have to, you have to be part of that, that team. You always told us that we should fight until the end. Come on. So I went, okay, I will try. But I'm telling you, and physically, mentally, I'm not there, guys, but I'll be there. And I'll tell you what, I pulled a new kit on. I went out in the, in the second half and, and literally, you know, when in the back of your head, you're thinking something is not right. But the next thing you put that mask, fake mask in front mm -hmm. and say, yeah, I'll show everybody that I will fight, I'll be there. You know what? I wasn't there at all. There's a four, 45 minutes for me of thinking something is not right. There is something that I have to deal with. What is it? And those questions that keep coming on and on and on. Because I kept running, I kept trying, but nothing was happening. So for me, it was a huge issue. After the game, uh, obviously I sweat out. I kind of come down a little bit. I've done my cold bath um, the recovery. We had the Chelsea game in the following week. I went on the bus, uh, had a bit of food. I didn't feel like I wanted to eat. Then through the journey, I, I became more and more unwell. Uh, I had a, a temperature, not very high temperature, probably I would say 37.9. I went to speak to the doc and I said, doc, uh, something's not right. I think I've got temperature. He took the temperature. Uh, he wasn't anything concerned, much concerned about. He said, listen, let's take some antibiotics, make sure that we're on the safe, uh, safe side. We play Chelsea next week. We've got a couple of training sessions. And then, you know what, let's see how, how we progress through the, through the week. But through the week, um, unfortunately, we had, um, if you remember what happened with Fabrice Mwamba, mm -hmm. yeah. after his uh, Heart accident, attack, yeah. uh, I think everybody in the Premier League, everybody at the Premier Club had to have um, a heart checkup. So having a heart checkup, the doctor said, you know what, guys, I'd like to do a random blood tests. So those blood, blood tests was done all, on a Tuesday, by Thursday, I was diagnosed with acute lymphoblastic uh, leukemia. Through these two days, from Tuesday to Thursday, we were back and forwards uh, to the hospital. There was different uh, uh, messages about my uh, blood counts. Uh, I, I, I wasn't aware of what exactly was happening. The doc was trying to protect me. Obviously, he had of an idea what was there. And when I went to actually have uh, extra blood tests and extra checkups, I was walking through the hospital. It was a Good Hope hospital. I don't know if you're familiar with the, where Good Hope is. Yes, yeah, yeah. It's a huge, yeah. a huge hospital. So 
I'm walking down the different wards and what I see is, is a cancer ward, onco onco oncological uh, 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 ward, oncology uh, ward. And I'm thinking, something's not right here. Something is not right. At that time, I was on my own with one of the, one of the physios. My wife was uh, on the way down to London. Uh, so in a space of two hours, the diagnosis was confirmed and I had to make a decision. Now making a decision, uh, Ronnie, is about, not about me and you moving up to Scotland or me and you going somewhere to live abroad or something that it happened generally in life. You have to make a decision of, to starting a treatment which can save your life. And you have to make that decision straight away. You have to be on the point. You have to make sure, do you say yes? Do I go through it? Do I have to have a second opinion? Do I have to look for somebody else who can help me? Was I looking for somebody to tell me everything will, will be okay? Well, it was nobody, nobody there to tell me everything is gonna be okay. No, no, nobody was there to give me assurance about what's gonna happen. Nobody was there to tell me, you know what? This is the way it should be. This is the path that you have to go to make sure that you're gonna succeed. There was nobody there like that. But in the meantime, those questions that I had through the game, you know, what's happening, why is not right? Now I had the answers. Mm. Now I had the answers. Yeah. No very pleasant answers, but I had to deal with it. And I had to deal with it as much as I had the support of the family and the friends. I have to clear and deal with it on my own because the, those decisions, the important decision comes down to you, not to anybody else. See, what, what I love about your attitude is that this matter of factness, uh, you're fighting for your life, effectively. That's what you're doing here. And you've made the decision, I need to do this. I've done a lot of the stuff myself. I made myself a great player because I applied myself. Now you're taking this on. Was there ever a time, because I remember the time, Estillian, um, when you're in the crowd at Villa, was it Villa versus Chelsea? Um, and you're in the crowd with your family and you get through treatment and man, you look poorly. And I, I said to my wife, who's a nurse, I said, oh, uh, Estillian looks uh, poorly in there. And I thought, you know, I thought it was going to be one of those horrific stories where we wouldn't, you know, we wouldn't see you and that would be the last memory of you. But you fought it and you, you, you delivered... Um, you know, you, you, you brought it uh, into uh, stark reality uh, how fragile life is, even for a, a person like you. Top of your game, cancer is such a terrible disease. It doesn't discriminate. It just goes, well, you're my choice and you're going to get leukemia. You know, the funny thing is it's a great point you're making, Ronnie, about, um, you know, life, what is important in life. At that time... I was heartbroken uh, about, you know, football is taken away. Can I play football again? And I didn't realize the big picture is, is my, li my life online. There's my life I'm fighting for. The little things that I will miss if I, if I don't succeed. And the little things is about waking up in the morning, smiling, having a laugh with my family, seeing my kids grow, seeing my, my wife succeed, seeing myself become a better father, a better person. This is the things that when we come to these kind of moments, that you realize, God, for God's sake, you know, I want to, I want to have this opportunity. I want to leave. I, I'm going to miss all this. And I don't want to go like that. I'm too young to do it. And when you start thinking about things, it becomes even harder. It becomes even harder, Ronnie, because then you realize that is all these important little things 
that we, we, we forget to appreciate every day are around us. And I, I was going to lose it. I was going to lose it. Was I prepared to do that? Hell no. Hell no. I, could, I couldn't do it. I couldn't do that. But in the back of my mind again, do I have a question? What happened if I don't succeed? What's happening if the treatment is not working? So all of a sudden, I'm giving you who I want to be and what is in the back of my mind. It becomes a, be- a mental battle between myself of how I'm going to do it. What is the right way to do it? What is the best way I need to approach? What is the best treatment? Then you start thinking the next, the next time. And I'm just giving you something that your brain is raised about it. Whoa, what's happening if this treatment that I choose is not working? There's a different treatments. There's different ways. Who's the best doctor? Who I should, should choose? What hospital should I go? Where's the best way? When you have all this, and don't forget, I'm only 32. What I've seen in life is about football, about sport, about fighting, about being looked after. Now, I have to look after myself. Mm-hmm. Was I prepared for that? No at all. Can somebody prepare me for that? I don't think so. Uh, the Villa fans were brilliant because every 19th minute uh, at, at the home games that, that season, they applauded you. Can I ask you, because I tried to find it, why 19, what, what's the significance of 19 then, Stillian? I don't know. We, we as a players, we are very, uh, very superstitious. It's, uh, if you look at it, uh, everything I've done in my life, I have nine in my, in my, I was married, married on the 9th of June. I played number 19. Uh, my boy was born on, ni- on, on the 19. You know, it's just, just yeah. one of the things superstitious that you think, you know what, it's one of these lucky things that I think works for me. And you just pick it and you just go with it. And it's one of these superstitious things that you think, you know what, this is my luck. This is my lucky charm. This is what I think is right. This is what I think I feel comfortable with. And I just go with it. And I feel, I feel good now. And you know, the funny thing now is I have a lot of, young kids, young players in back in Bulgaria. And when I go back, they say, I'd like to play number 19 because you play number 19. <laughs> but they don't associate what I play with number 19. They just want to be like me. And to be to be an idol and to be something that I've looked at up to other people when I was younger, it makes me even more prouder. Go to uh, to uh, your penultimate room. I want to talk about uh, your charitable room, your uh, campaigning room. Obviously, you started your your campaign, your charity for a cancer uh, campaign, um, or your charity for a, a fighting cancer. But also, uh, you, t- you started this one uh, about uh, player for player, about mental health in footballers. And, you know, it's amazing how much mental health has really come to the fore in terms of um, footballers and athletes. And I'm not surprised you're doing that because you mentally have been through a lot. But tell me about why you think that mental health took so long to come to the fore in, in terms of football. Because nobody wants to be weak. Nobody, nobody wants to be seen weak. Nobody wants to be seen vulnerable. Nobody wants to share the problems. Nobody wants to share the negative things. But the problem is this is what mental health is all about because we hide all these problems deep inside us and we don't want to share it. 
If you not be able to share, then you never have support. If you don't, if you're not able to share, you never, you never have a, uh, you never have the right advice. I always say that mental health is the hidden devil because if you look at it, the mental health is all hidden. We don't talk about it. We don't show it. Nobody can realize what's happening in our head. If we have an injury, if we have a visible injury, then people start talking about, oh. Ronnie, what's happened with you? You're limping, you know. Let's see, what can I help you? Can I show? Then you start sharing because you can't hide it. You have to be upfront with people. You can't hide your weaknesses if it's a physical evidence of you struggling. But if it's a mental, it's hidden. And what we try to do as a human beings, and that's everywhere, we don't like to be judged. You don't like to be vulnerable. We don't like to share. We don't like, like I mentioned again and repeating again, we don't have to be seen weak. Because we think the weakness is the worst thing in humans' life. Because people will take your weakness and they're going to punish you. They're going to put you down and you won't be able to recover. But you know what? I believe the weaknesses are the opportunities to get better, to fight, to realize and find your new opportunities. And I will never, I never, I will, you know, people say to me, don't share your weaknesses. I said, why not? There's nothing to hide. I don't have nothing to hide. And that's me. And I believe, you know, telling your weaknesses, you're helping others to realize, you know what? I do have a weaknesses. I do. Have, it's a different approach about how you want to deal with it. It's not about mental health has always been there, Ronnie. We, we don't talk about it. We don't mention it because we don't want to. Yeah, um, and you're quite right in that. But, you know, I, I, can, I can remember a time when managers would have looked at somebody who was struggling mentally. In fact, they wouldn't even have identified it. They would just have seen it as being weak. But now uh, they realise, you know, nutrition, etc., and everything, to get the best from a player, everything needs to be right. And mental health really has uh, come to the fore, especially these days. We, we see these young players... They're millionaires. I mean, within, you know, before they're even 21, a lot of them. That dealing with that, it's got to be a tough thing for, for clubs to really encapsulate and keep their players well in their head. You know, uh, uh, Ronnie, it's, uh, it's very in uh, interesting you mentioned that. I was a captain for, for, for most of the teams I've played for, and um, I could see the impact of. Uh, no very good man managers uh, having on, on some players, very good players. And as a captain, I had to realize and understand from very early age that mental approach is more important than anything else. As a captain, I didn't work, I didn't have to work more on about where the player has to stand, how he needs to pass it, what physicality he has. Yeah, I had to work on, on him with being happy, coming to training happy making sure he had the satisfaction from the training session. He had the, the, the quality to come and perform and be a good teammate. By doing that, he has to be in the right place. He has to come in that environment and be supported. For me, some manager, they have a different way of working. They have a different way of exploring things. But for me as a captain, I knew how important the mental health and the mental approach is for the players. Because if you don't have a player who is committed to the cause, or to whatever target you you set as a coach, then you have a problem. Doesn't matter how good he's a technically or physically. Doesn't matter that this is this is irrelevant. If you don't have a player who's mentally ready to come and play and uh, uh, satis sacrifice everything for the cause that you're setting, then you don't have a chance. He could be the best player in the world, and we've seen it. We've seen it with big players. 
The sooner they decide that mentally they're not there, mentally there is a problem between the manager, between the club, between the player, you see a huge issue and becoming a, a bigger issues as well. Uh, let me take you into, and it's been fascinating talking to you, and it, uh, you know, it's, uh, it's great for me to meet one of my heroes as well. But um, <laughs> you're in the dressing room again. Is there a play, and you've got to imagine as well, Stillian, uh, that there have been a lot of players would be sitting in the dressing room looking at you going, that's, that's Petrov. I'm sitting there. Um, is there a player you would have loved to have sat in the dressing room with and thought, I'm playing in this? Is there a player that you, maybe even in the past, you'd love to have been there to make them play and for you to get better with? No, uh, I had uh, one, he was my idol, Stoichkov, and I sat beside him, I played with him. Uh, I had the good moments, I had the bad moments with him. We had a great conversation, we've had arguments, and I've learned a lot about it. This is it. The other one, who was it? Was Roy Keane. Wow. When he came to Celtic. I tell you what, I was a big admirer of Roy and... I wanted to see him because I, I spoke with a lot of players about what kind of character he is, how he plays, how he approached the game, uh, what was his weaknesses, what is his strengths. But when he came to Celtic, dear me, Ronnie, he was exceptional. I tell you what, somebody who's who, who came to end of his career, uh, people were still questioning his leg, his ability, his mentality. It was incredible. In the six months, I've learned so much, so much about about players' preparation, about players' demands, about players' quality in training and football and life from a man that, you know, I only knew about six months. And he, teach me, he, he taught me so much. He taught me about how to demand and how to be countable in the dressing room, which, you know what? I've sat beside two great characters, two great winners, and players that went through a lot of difficult moments but they've achieved so much because of their strife and their uh, emotional attachment to football and to because they love football. Uh, uh, the last one for you is I would imagine you'd love to be in the dressing room as a coach, as a manager. You've done all your badges and everything. Um, are you hoping to get back into management apart from everything else you're doing? Yeah, I, I hope so. And uh, at the moment, you know, I've... I've I've completed everything. I've completed my pro license. It's been, you know what, be, becoming a coach, it, it takes time. You know, it took me, took me nearly four years. How many uh, of us as a former players have the pleasure and have the ability to be outside, uh, outside football for, for four years? Not many. Some players are still, still trying to find their way. Some players still 10 years down the line can't find their way. And they, they're passionate again because we as a players, uh, Ronnie, we lose our we lose our, our purpose. When mm. we retire, we lose our purpose. We lose we, we we lose our goal. We try to find a new identity. And funnily, you you mentioned the player for player earlier. Uh, this is what we're trying to do. A lot, few former players. We try to find a better solution for former and current players to understand that to understand that every stage of their career and how to prepare for that second career because this is important. If we're talking about you know, players that retired about their problems, you know, bankruptcy, mental health, uh, divorce, gambling. We can go on and go on. And the people don't realize, you know, people think that when you have money, everything is set for you. But it's different when you only have one thing to do, and that is become a footballer, elite player for 15, 20 years. But when that stops and finding a new, new excitement, new passion, new purpose, it's very difficult. And you can see out there, 
I bet you spoke with so many former players and you probably find out, God, how much potential he, he, he got, he had. Where is he at the moment? I haven't heard of him for ages, but that's the system. And the system, fortunately, uh, Ronnie, has failed to, to support current and former players. And that's why player for player, what you mentioned before, we think we can bridge that gap to make sure that the players have the, the best opportunities going forward and be more sustainable. Thanks, Stillian. Next time in the room, I'll be talking to Gail Porter, the TV presenter, documentary maker and mental health advocate. All I seem to be good for was going on to chat shows to talk about being bold and they don't really pay. I had no money, no jobs coming in. I'll see you next time in the room. Mm-hmm.